Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Lindsay Baroker. And I'm Joe Lalo. And today we're interviewing Gary Bennett. Gary is my narrator. I'm so super excited about this. <laughs> um, Gary, is it, is, is it SAG-AFTRA? Is that how you say it? SAG-AFTRA, yes. Okay. Gary is a SAG-AFTRA audiobook narrator. Um, he has pursued his career in audio audiobook narration with zeal, continuing to not only invest in personal coaching from some of the best in the industry, but also investing in some of the best equipment for his professional home-based studio. There are a few things he enjoys more than stepping into a studio Brooks home studio and recording his favorite books. And I, I know Gary is also a fan of the Seahawks, though he is not originally from Seattle. You're from California and Montana, right? Yes, Sam. Yeah. Born in California. Most of my childhood and, and uh, early years were spent in Montana. Nice. Which part of Montana, by the way? Bozeman, Montana. I don't know where home that of is. The, home of the Montana State Bobcats. So it's like one state from where you live. How can you not know? <laughs> There's only like three towns in Montana. <laughs> I know of Missoula and Bill in Missoula and Billings. And we're, that's it. we're about halfway between the two. So okay. <laughs> we're right, up, right above uh, Yellowstone Park. Oh, okay. Oh, I know where that is then. There you go. <laughs> I just, I, last time I was in Montana was when I was seven. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Um, anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a <laughs> pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's. I'm excited. We haven't had a narrator on yet, and honestly, I hadn't listened to an F or a podcast that interviewed narrators, and so I was like, this is going to be fun. Um, Gary just signed a contract with me to do my Shadow Prophet, and um, yeah, I can't remember when we were starting. Sometime in the next month or so. <laughs> Actually, I'll be starting. I'm uh, halfway through, a little more than halfway through my prep. Um, reading the book first, and then I'm hoping to begin recording at the end of this week, maybe early next week. Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah, I'm super stoked. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really excited too. Um, one thing about Gary that uh, I've had, I mean, this is what happens when you don't do audiobooks and you're, you know, your books do pretty decently. I hadn't ever done an audiobook, and so I get approached by narrators like once a week, sometimes once a month, and they send me samples. And I was like, oh, another another narrator sending me a sample. Gary sent me a 30-minute sample, and it totally blew my socks off. I was like, I'm not ready to do an audiobook for this book yet, but we, he is hands down the right guy. And yeah, I'm, I'm just yeah very excited about that sample. Yeah. It's, it's still the best sample I've ever gotten for any of my books. So oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. It was, it's it's such a fun, uh, it's such a fun thing to do for me. I reach out uh, pretty regularly to authors who who don't have audiobooks out yet, and it's always such a joy to to just dig into just even just the little excerpts that are available through Amazon, um, and just and just kind of dig in and, and try to try to give a, a an honest performance to those to those little excerpts and show what I can be. So what I'm capable of to, to potential authors. And it's, it's, it's a blast for me. It's one of, I mean, I'm almost addicted to, to auditioning and, and sending out to, to just cause it's gives me such a, a wide exposure to different, uh, to different genre, genres as, as well as uh, the different authors and, and what they can do. So it's a lot of fun. I love it. So are you an extrovert then? <laughs> I am, uh, uh, I've always been an introvert, very, very introverted, but I'm trying to break out of my shell and it's been, a, it's been an ongoing process, but I think I'm doing pretty well. I, I, I have extroverted flashes of, of inspiration from time to time. 
Yeah, I don't know. I I'm I am an extrovert and I have a lot of stage experience. And so for me, auditioning is normal, but I don't know how an interview introvert does that. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> At first it was very difficult. It was very uncomfortable and and, and uh I don't have an acting background. I don't have any any stage background at all. So it's it's coming coming into an industry where where that's prevalent in a lot of my colleagues. Um, and it's, it's really required as part of the job. It, it's, it's been a challenge. It's, it's, it's something that I've had to learn. I've, like I said, I've had a lot of coaching and, and taken a lot of acting classes and, and specific narration classes to, to help me hone my skills and just get past that initial fear of, of, of getting out and putting myself out there. And, but once I did it, once I started, it, it was like a drug. It was like, I, I loved it. Um, I, I'm, almost regretful that I didn't start doing this much earlier, but I'm loving it. Loving, loving what I'm doing. So just a quick question. You sent me a really long sample. Is that something you normally do or, um, it depends on the subject matter. It depends on, on how, how much I really want to do it, how much I really want to, how much I can connect to, to the subject matter and, and how well it's written. So, um, it kind of just depends on, and it depends on how much time I have to, to do that. It, it's, it, it's a little, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's not just 30 minutes or whatever of reading. It's, it's doing the, the, the read of the text, which takes anywhere from one and a half to two times what you hear, um, as well as processing and making it sound clean and, and editing and so much. So it's, it's a little bit of a time investment to do these samples, but um, in my mind, like I said, it's fun for me. I really enjoy it, but it's also an opportunity for me to, to kind of show my wares and to, to meet new authors. And even if they don't, um, sign, sign me up or, or want to do business for me on that particular book, at least, um, I'm out there. I'm a name that they can maybe recognize. And if they don't have any opportunities for me, maybe they're colleagues. I know authors similar to narrators, authors talk to each other. So it's, uh, just a matter of getting my name out there and, and, uh, just doing what I love to do. Um, this is a, I'm just curious question, <laughs> but <laughs> what percentage of authors, I mean, usually move from like e answering your email to, um, signing a contract. That's a good question. Um, I've been actively pursuing authors for about a year and a half. Um, actively pursuing reaching out to authors that I find that don't have audiobooks available. Um, of that, uh, during that year and a half, I've probably reached out to more than a hundred authors. Um, and of that pool of a hundred authors, I probably get responses of maybe 25%. Uh, just thank you for reaching out. I'm not interested or I'll keep you in mind. I'm not ready to do any audiobooks now, but. Um, I have a book that I may have you do in the future. And usually it ends with that. Um, of that 25%, probably another 20 to 50% of those actually turn into some, into some actual jobs. So, um, in fact, I've got two authors that I just reached out to that I started reaching out to maybe six to eight months ago. And every once in a while, we just kind of touch base and, and I reach back and, and each time they show interest and, and, uh, uh, both of them have now indicated that they want to move forward on, on, uh, multiple book series of, of, uh, one is a thriller, they're both, uh, mystery thriller series. So, um, it's, 
the narration game is is it's a long game, so it's not something. Certainly, you don't get into it to make fast money. <laughs> um, it's it's a lot of investment of time and effort, and uh, um, a lot of sowing seeds and, and planting planting ideas in, in others' heads, and and eventually, a lot of those will will take uh, take root and and produce something for you. So uh, it's managed to keep me pretty busy, though. I've I've got uh, several five or six authors that I do regular work for um, as a result of my direct outreach to them. So it's, uh, and it's a lot of fun. I, I love it. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I would have probably done it if I hadn't been drawn to the writing side, because I do really like that the stage side of the aspect and the, the mm. acting aspect of it. And um, I don't know. I prefer writing though. <laughs> I wouldn't mind doing my own audiobooks, but time, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of time, a lot of investment. Yeah. And to do it really, to do it well, um, you want to, you want to be able to have someone who does it regularly. Um, yeah. not to say, not to say that you couldn't, uh, and yeah. a lot of authors actually do read their own, their own works. But, um, again, it's just a, an investment of time to, to put that stuff together. Yeah. So, um, Okay, what is your background in general, and what led you to audiobook narration? So I am a, a degreed electrical engineer. Um, I graduated from Montana State University, and uh, it, uh, I've I've been doing that. I've I've ran my own engineering firm um, since two thousand four, uh, so a good fifteen years or so. Um, I'm just excuse me. I'm just. Um, I've got one toe in still into that world, but uh, I'm I'm making my way, making my exit out, exit stage left, um, and so I. Uh, but I've been doing that for for a long time, and I loved it. I loved the work. I loved the challenge, but um, it didn't really. I've always been really creative. Um, uh, I'm a musician, and a, 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 I wouldn't call myself an artist, but I try. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've got a lot of creative juices running through me, and so I've and I've I've actually have a whole lot of stories. And so kind of like you on the flip side, um, I've always loved writing, um, and I've got a lot of ideas to continually bounce around my head. And I think, wow, if only I had the time to to put these in paper and actually do something with them. Um, and it's something I may do yet, but uh, that those creative juices were never really fulfilled in in the technical engineering world and so um i eventually came to the to a point where my where i had to slow down in my work and um i've always been a huge fan of audiobooks I've, ever since they were books on tape i i've listened to listened to, to the audio versions of books and absolutely loved how they could transport me i'm always i've always been a big reader but hearing an actor's interpretation of the words out of a book that may not be the same as how I would read them in my head. Um, it's always been really, really enlightening and just super entertaining. And um, especially when you get the really talented ones who can do multiple um, uh, really good, distinct characterizations of, of all the, uh, the scenes and the characters, um, they really make them come alive. And, and so I had to slow down on my work and I thought, well, what am I going to do? I've, I have a few months ahead of me and I had just so listened to, um, an interview of one of my favorite narrators, uh, a fellow by the name of Luke Daniels. Um, if you don't know him, 
Um, look him up because he is a fantastic narrator. And he, he was really my inspiration. He had a, he, there was an interview that he conducted that in which he told how he got his start in the industry. And that led me to, that's kind of just, uh, uh, flipped a uh, light switch in my head and got me to thinking, wow, um, this is something that people actually do. People actually sit here and read books for a living. And it never crossed my mind that as much audiobooks that I listened to in the past, it never really, it never clicked in my head that people actually do this for a living. And I thought, wow, what a cool job that would be. And so I just started looking, uh, doing some research into, uh, what it would take to, to be a narrator. Um, there, I, and I thought, well, I came across this site. Um, it's called ACX and I think you're probably familiar with it now. It's a, it's kind of a clearinghouse. It's, uh, for a bunch of independent authors to come and solicit work from independent narrators and they call, they all come together. Um, there's a whole system in place where you can, we can submit your, your books to be, um, auditioned for by, by the open pool of narrators and a lot of really good books get made through ACX. Um, they're actually a subsidiary of Amazon. And so they've got a tight relationship with Amazon and audible. Um, but there's, there's a whole, uh, narrator, side, <clears throat> narrator side of ACX that, that gives kind of a step-by-step, um, explanation of how you can get your start and basic uh, equipment list and some training resources to, to becoming a narrator. And so I, I poked into, into that a little bit and did a lot of research and I said, well, this doesn't sound too bad. I got some time on my hands. So I thought I'd give it a try. And it turns out that, uh, once I, I converted my home office into a part-time recording studio, um, got a bunch of equipment in there and played around with software and, the, the moment I started speaking into that mic and, and reading some, some sample, uh, books, it just, I fell, <clears throat> I fell in love with it. I absolutely just out, adored what I was doing. I thought, wow, this is better than I thought it could be. Um, and so I did a little more practice and throughout a couple auditions, found some, some little books that I, that I thought I could handle to, uh, to get my feet wet. And immediately got picked up to do those audiobooks. And then, <laughs> then, then the lights really came on and I realized very quickly that, wow, this is real. <laughs> I really don't know what I'm doing. So I better figure it out really quickly. So I, I quickly got a bunch of training and uh, some personal coaching and um, not only in the performance side, but also the technical side, because as a home narrator, I'm also, I'm responsible for not only um, performing the audiobook, but also on the technical side, running the software, making sure my computer is set up to, to properly interface, uh, the mic and the, the software and, and everything else and be able to put the, put the audio files together in the correct format and meet the proper specs. So there's a lot of technical side that, that a lot of people don't realize needs to happen behind the scenes. So, um, and, uh, and once I started, once I got those first few books, um, it was like a snowball running downhill. I just never, never looked back. Um, so I've, I, 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 I joke with a lot of my friends and my family. I said, um, once I figured out that this was a thing and that I really liked it and that I think I could do well, it, it was like finally figured out what I wanted to do when I grew up. So, 
and I haven't, uh, haven't awesome. had any regrets. <laughs> yeah. That's, now, that's um, most of our listeners are familiar with ACX. They've probably written a few books, and, and some of them may already have audio books. But for uh, we wanted to ask a few questions for those who are just thinking of you know going from ebook to audio book. So, um, what would you say is important for an author to look for when searching for a narrator for his or her novel? It's a really good question. Um, there are a lot of narrators. Uh, I think the last time I looked on ACX, there's there's probably ten thousand or more narrators available um, in the pool of narrators. And in that pool, there's the whole spectrum of really good narrators to people who don't know what they're doing at all and are just trying to do this maybe as a side gig or or as a hobby. And um, my advice when to authors when they're looking for narrators, especially on a platform such as ACX, is to really do their homework in vetting the narrators that audition for them. Um, and by that, I mean looking at that each narrator has the opportunity to put together a profile in their, in their ACX account. So when an, a narrator auditions for a piece, um, the author sh- will be able to look at the profile of the narrator, look at what they've done, pull up um, some samples from audiobooks that, that they've already done and published on audible.com, um, as well as look at just the background of, of what they've um, what they've done, how serious they are in this endeavor. Because um, as an author, personally, I would want to make sure that my my work, my baby, is going to be taken care of. Right? This is this is something that you put a lot of time and blood and sweat into to putting together, and and you want the audiobook version to be handled in just the same way. So. Um, it's, it, it's not necessarily a matter of experience, but, um, how professional the narrator puts themselves forth as and how dedicated they are to their craft. Um, you know, I, I didn't find you through like audible or ACX or find a waste. And I, so all I did was go look at your website. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. and, And again, that's, that's another, that's another avenue for, for, um, just kind of an opportunity for a narrator to show that they're serious about what they're doing, that, that they take this, this endeavor very seriously and they put all their efforts into making just the best product available. So yeah, that, yeah. And that's another good way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Website, seriously, honestly, it's like, it's the <laughs> professional foot forward. So, um, very much. Okay, so. so- how does an author go about finding a narrator? Do you, could you just lay out the different options? Um, as we talked about, there's ACX. Uh, and that's kind of the the jumping point for a lot of authors because it's easy to do. Um, it's part of the Amazon uh, uh, system. And so everything's kind of very well integrated from that point. And so it's very easy to to take your your ebook that's already on Amazon and say, I want to turn it into an audiobook. Um, there's a, there's a pretty step-by-step process that they've outlined fairly well. I believe that, that allows an author to, to make that leap and to get into the ACX system and then put their, put their works up for auditions. Um, there are other avenues as well. Um, you mentioned briefly find a way. So find a way voices is another platform. Similar to ACX, uh, there are 
a roster of of narrators. So the difference between ACX and everybody else is anybody can sign up to be a narrator um, without being vetted by anybody on the back end. ACX doesn't do any vetting whatsoever of, of their narrators. So it's up to the authors to do that vetting to make sure that that who they ultimately may decide to to choose to narrate their book is actually going to meet their expectations. Um, an outfit like Find Away Voices, however, you have to apply to get on the roster of Find Away, um, and then when you go to when you approach Find Away, they will suggest um, from their pool of narrators who might be the best fit for you. So there's a lot of that initial vetting, that initial uh, decision making. Uh, whittling down of, of of auditions and potential narrators, a lot of that is done in the background for you by find-away voices, so you don't have to... Um, there's, there's a lot less stress and a lot less manual input from the author, uh, as opposed to ACX, where the author is responsible for everything. Um, and oftentimes, when you put up a, a book for audition in ACX, you're going to get maybe... 20, 40, 100 auditions that you're going to be responsible for wading through uh, as an author. And that could be, uh, I can only imagine that's just going to be really tedious after a very short period. Um, addition to, in addition to find a way, there's several, several next year um, outfits and that handle not only the production, but also the distribution. Uh, Spoken Realms is another very good, reputable um, a company that, that does very similar work to find a way in that they have a pool of narrators. Um, they can help you walk you through the entire process as an author to create your, take your, your ebook and turn it into an audiobook with uh, much less uh, manual input required from an author. So All right. those, are the, those are the really the three that, that stand out in my head as being the, the most prevalent in the industry. I wasn't actually familiar with Spoken Realms, so that's a that's a new one for me. Yeah. Um, all right, so one of the one of the things I was curious about is, as an author, uh, you know, independent authors, we can go from you know the finished revision to on sale in virtually no time at all, mm-hmm. uh, and usually print an ebook can come out at the same time with no problem. But audiobooks are another matter. So, how long should an author budget into their timeline if they're trying to get audio out at the same time as the other stuff? A lot of that depends on the availability of the of the narrator. Um, so, from the time a narrator gets the project and is ready to start, to the time it's actually ready for retail, it's I would plan on typically four to six weeks. Um, but the the big question, which is really difficult to answer, is when that four to six week time frame starts. So, for instance, right now I'm I'm completely booked through mid July. So the earliest, if someone approached me to to do a book, I could I could do would be starting in say mid July, which means that four to six week clock then starts beyond that um, at that time. So, um, and you'll find that a lot of the a lot of the more in-demand narrators are going to be booked out at least a month or two, maybe maybe even more. So it's it all depends on on the uh, the availability of the narrator. And oftentimes, I'll have I'll have breaks where I can squeeze something in if it's a if it's a rush job or if it's a a shorter book. Um, the actual production time for me is is about 
two weeks for for my time, and then there's additional four to uh, two to four weeks of post production time where where the finished audio files that I then submit are edited for final completion and then submitted to the the uh, platform such as ACX or Find a Way, and then it takes some time for them to take those final files, do their initial and final QC on them, and then put them into a retail format that are then distributed to Audible or iTunes or wherever else. Yeah, and this is why a lot of indie authors have a hard time getting the the releases to all come out at the same time. But it's unfortunate because it is really beneficial. It's like your ebook's selling really well at launch week if you can also have the audio book ready at the same time. Absolutely. Sorry, I just wanted to to point out to um, our listeners that if they are going to try to do it in advance, you're going to have to have the pre-order up on Amazon um, if you're going to go through ACX because they only let you claim the book and starter production if it's on Amazon. So I just wanted to point that out. That's very true. I I have one book that I just did with an author that uh, is on pre-order. and I wish I knew more about what he had to do. I know there's a process to do. I think you just you just notify. Um, he's going through ACX, so there. And I don't know if there's any other way to do the pre-orders um, and have a simultaneous release. But um, we we managed to get the the whole process done. I know he started about six weeks ahead of when he anticipated doing the uh, release of the ebook. Um, and luckily, just last late last week, the audiobook um, was ready for ready for retail. So by the time next week comes around, which is when when the uh, the release date for the ebook is, the audiobook will be there as well. But again, he had to, I guess, he had to anticipate and and make the initial contacts to ACX. I want to say at least six weeks in advance. So. What are kind of the going rates right now for um, per finished hour? Or maybe could you explain what per finished hour is and sort of what authors should expect to pay for their audiobook production? Absolutely. Um, there, so per finished hour is the term that's used to to define the rates that uh, one way a, a narrator can be paid. So um, per finished hour means just just that, the, the actual finished running time of the audiobook. Um, the narrator will get paid on a per finished hour hour rate. So, for instance, if the audiobook runtime is ten hours of the actual final audiobook, then the narrator gets paid in a per finished hour contract or a pay for production contract um, his rate of based on those per finished hours. So, those rates will will vary again depending on the experience and the, and the uh, the uh, the narrator themselves anywhere. I would say from on um, the low end, two hundred to uh, uh, much higher. <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about a Scott Brick or somebody, you're going to be paying a lot more. But um, um, so it, it all depends on on the narrator and and like I say, their experience, their availability, um, their their going, what they can what they can get for for their books. Right now, my current rate is three hundred and fifty dollars per finished hour which means on a 10-hour book, I, I get that rate. But in that rate is folded my my production time. So I have, um, for a 10-hour book, for instance, I'm going to spend 10 hours, 10 to 15 hours of my time just doing prep work. 
um, rereading reading the book uh, initially, making any notes, making any uh, doing any research that I need to do on pronunciations or or other uh, um, things that may come up in in the text. Um, then there's the actual studio time to record that. Uh, for every for every finished hour, the typical standard is about two studio recording hours. So if it's a 10 hour book, I'm going to be sitting in front of a mic for 20 hours just to get that audio recorded. Um, once that audio is recorded, then I send all the audio files to a professional audio engineer who will then proofread, make sure I've gotten uh, all my recording to the text. Um, they'll edit the audio files and then they'll master them to make sure that they take out all the, all the uh, erroneous clicks or, or weird noises that may occur in, in the raw recordings um, and, and do some other fancy audio stuff to them that I only know of a little bit. <laughs> um, but basically make them sound really good so that uh, once the audio files are finally submitted to ACX or find a way or wherever, you're going to have uh, the best sounding audio you can find. So in that, in that rate of mine, all that time, the, the prep time, the actual studio time, um, my fees that I paid to the, to the engineer to, to do all his magic is rolled into that, uh, um, into that rate. Yeah, it's definitely, I think I've heard even as many as four or six hours per finished hour, it ends up being when you factor everything in. Yeah, yeah, it, it, can, it can be a lot. And it, a lot of it depends on the complexity of the text. Um, and, and a lot in that four to six hours also, um, that can sometimes be accounted for if a narrator is doing their own uh, editing and mastering. Um, that time is... Uh, at least from what I've heard, that's, that's, that's commonly rolled into. I don't do that because um, I'm not, I can do that type of work to editing and mastering if I had to, but it's not something that I'm a pro at. And every hour that I spend doing that is an hour that I'm not spending recording another book. So it makes business sense for me to, to outsource that uh, post-production work to a, somebody who can do it much better than I can. So it's just like us handing things off to an editor and going on right. to the next project. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So a lot of authors, especially if they're newer and uh, money's a little tight, they look at ACX has the royalty split option. Um, could you talk about that? And is that anything you've done uh, or who might, who might that be good for? Yes. Um, and actually there's, there's two versions of that royalty in, in ACX. It's called a royalty share project. Um, they also have what's called a royalty share plus project. Um, in both, in both types of contracts, um, the narrator and the author or the rights holder will split the royalties, uh, 50, 50 for every, every audiobook sold. So, um, and, and those contracts last, I think, seven years in ACX. So for a seven-year period, every time that audiobook sells, um, the royalties that are gained from that, which I think are, uh, don't quote me on this, but I want to say like 40% of the actual sale price, um, those are split to 50% goes to the author, 50% goes to the narrator. Um, so it's a, it's a good way to minimize your costs on from the author's side. Um, the, the initial costs... Are, are much less than, than paying for protection uh, on a PFH rate. Um, but 
the the takeaway is that you also have to share your profits from all your sales. Um, the royalty share plus is a is a version of that contract in which the uh, author will pay for typically pay for the production costs. So my production costs are a hundred dollars per finished hour that I that I pay directly out of my pocket for every book to my engineer. Um, so in that case, the the author has is is willing to go in at least a little bit um, on the initial production of the audiobook so that the narrator doesn't have to take on all the risk. Um, and then at the end, once the audiobook is, is on for sale, they'll again split the, split the, uh, the profits for, from all the royalties. Um, producing an audiobook um, is, is not a cheap endeavor for, for a narrator. So it's a lot of time that we spend up front, like, like I said, as doing all the research and, and preparation, spending the time to record, spending the, the time or the money to, to outsource the post-production. So in a royalty share book, um, if I were, and I, I do those from time to time, if, if I have a good confidence that the books are going to sell well, um, I don't have a problem doing royalty share books. Um, but, uh, all the initial cost of that, um, I foot, uh, when I do the book and then I hope to recoup those costs when the book sells well. Yeah. I usually recommend if people can afford it, that they just pay outright. And then also you're not locked in with audible in case in two years, you're like, Oh my, you know, maybe I'll do find away voices. Exactly. Right. But yeah. 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 You're, you're kind of stuck if you did the royalty share. Yeah. And I don't know. I would always be like stressing cause I would want the, the narrator to like make isn't make enough to be worth it. Uh, are there any red flags or anything that would uh, make you as a narrator say, no, it's just that book's oh, yeah. not selling well <laughs> enough. Or I imagine there's a lot of red flags. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that I consider when I'm considering a, doing a royalty share book. Um, the, uh, the old adage that, uh, um, don't judge a book by its cover is absolutely false when you're looking at considering doing a royalty share book. Um, because when people are flipping through Amazon pages and looking at books, the first thing they're going to see is that cover. Um, and that's what's going to attract the majority of readers is, wow, that's a cool looking cover. That's a cool looking book. That looks good. Uh, that's the selling point. That's the, the opening salvo. That's the, the handshake that, that gets the, the potential listeners to look more into potentially purchasing, purchasing that book. So if I'm going to look for a royalty share book, it's got to have a really good looking grabbing, uh, attention grabbing cover. Um, in addition to that, um, I'd like to know that the author has a good solid plan to market the audiobook once it's produced. So, um, uh, narrators don't have really any pull in, the marketing field. Um, not, not to say that we don't, or we don't try, but, um, the listening audience is going to relate to the author of the book. They're, they're going to, they're going to respond to that author because that's who they're buying the book from. The narrator is, is sometimes, um, an unknown or sometimes, uh, somebody that they don't, that the listener may, may be ancillary familiar with, but not really super familiar with. So they, they're not going to, Unless, like, again, like, unless you're an R.C. Bray or Scott Brick, people probably aren't going to buy an audiobook because it was narrated by Gary Bennett. Um, they're going to buy an audiobook because Gary Bennett narrated a book by Andrew Pearson. Um, so 
that's that's the big selling point and that's where the marketing comes from is so so in order for for me or or another narrator to could to really consider a royalty share book is uh, one factor we have to look at is 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 there a good um, marketing plan that that gives us some assurance that we're going to be able to make some of our money back on sales. Um, right. And then uh, another consideration is 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 it something that person attracts me? Am I going to enjoy uh, reading the book? Um, if it's something that's that's that I have no interest in or 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 doesn't really give me that that really good feeling gut feeling, then it's probably something I would pass on. Sort of on that subject, uh, I'd like to change gears a little bit to uh, narrating different genres. Uh, what mm-hmm. genres have you narrated? Ah, I've narrated sci-fi, um, thrillers and mysteries, uh, romance, um, children's books. Those are my earliest books. And what else? Sci-fi. I think those are pretty much um, pretty much the big ones. Um, most of my books right now are, are sci-fi thrillers or romance, as a matter of fact. And I actually have a, a pseudonym that I've, that I'm starting to use for a lot of romances as well. Um, it's not a secret pseudonym. I'm not trying to, a lot of narrators get, get very touchy about being outed, um, by the pseudonyms. I, um, I don't have any problem with that. So, uh, my pseudonym is Liam Sanderson. Um, he's only got one book out now, but he's got another book in production, and I hope to be using him for a lot more of my romance titles in the future. All right. And uh, uh, in your experience, do you feel that readers have different expectations for narrations of different genres that maybe authors wouldn't be aware of? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's definitely tropes that 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 should that uh, listeners expect to hear, and and if they don't, they they may be disappointed. Um, uh, uh, obvious ones are, are like a, a mystery. Um, you want to have a certain tone when you're when you're doing a noir book or a mystery book that you don't find in, in say a more lighthearted book. Um, uh, it's, a lot of it is dictated by the text itself and how it's written. Um, but the, the tone of the book, um, I think, really, um, and again, it, it's it's it comes to the authors as how well they they they. Um, make that that tone of the book, or make sure that 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 uh, expectation of the genre is, is met. But um, um, I'm absolutely uh, it's it's actually uh, a, it's a thing that listeners would really expect to hear certain genres narrated in a certain way. All right. Now you mentioned that you do sci-fi, and I write sci-fi, and uh, it, sci-fi and fantasy in particular tend to have a lot of made-up words and tricky <laughs> names. Uh, you mentioned earlier doing prep work and checking for the pronunciations. Oh, yeah. Some of my uh, some of the times that I've had books narrated, they asked they sent me a list of every made-up word, and they wanted a phonetic pronunciation of each. Others, they just sort of they they decided to wing it, and on some of the either-or pronunciations, they went with or, and it was wrong. <laughs> Uh, so what sort of, should an author be proactive with pronunciation stuff or is that typically the sort of thing that a, a narrator will come to them for? Uh, it depends on how critical in the author's mind those pronunciations are. Um, if, if you have a certain way that you expect, uh, these words that may not be, um, may not be very, uh, um, forthcoming as far as how a narrator might read it. Um, absolutely. If, if, if the, if, 
it, when I work, um, when I, especially when I work with a new author and, and Andrew can, can attest to this, I send out uh, a welcome packet. And in that welcome packet, I describe my process. I describe um, the different steps of, of, of bringing the audiobook to life. And also I, I give some sample templates for character breakdowns. Um, so it doesn't really relate so much to pronunciations, but, but I think maybe I'm going to consider adding that as well. But, um, in that it gives the authors some things to think about that, that may help me interpret the characters, interpret, um, giving some, maybe the background of, of certain characters that may not come out explicitly within the text to give me a better feel for how to handle him, better feel to have, excuse me, better feel to how to handle that, those types of, of, uh, scenarios. Um, but again, with pronunciations, uh, um, I, it's, it's anytime I come across a pronunciation that's, that's not really clear, um, in my head, I'll send it back to the author and say, Hey, do you have any tips or this is what I was thinking? Um, do you agree, disagree? Would you like to hear it differently? And, um, and every time those, those are always has, have always been well received. So, uh, it's, uh, but yeah, it's, and, and especially in, in sci-fi fantasy, um, there are a, a lot of very creatively used spellings of words that uh, may not be very obvious on how to pronounce. Andrea is listening very closely right now. We're <laughs> 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 starting my book this week. <laughs> and Andrea can also attest to the fact that, yes, you sent that and she forgot all about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right <laughs> yeah i i can blame it on the baby everything is go. blamed on the baby <laughs> there you go that's that's a valid excuse absolutely <laughs> <laughs> okay so um let's see what are the sorts of things a narrator has at um, his or her exposal for emotions that authors don't necessarily have and how does a good narrator affect that and then I, I'm, I'm just going to cram it all in right now. And then <laughs> should an author write his or her books uh, with these things in mind? Can you repeat the first question? I didn't quite understand that. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, okay. So like, like one of the things that the reason the background for this, this question is when you sent me that sample for shadow Prophet, mm -hmm. like you were putting emotion in there that I can't put with my fingers, you know, when I'm typing and I was just absolutely blown away. I mean, even your breaths, were like, it was fantastic. I just, and my readers were all gushing like, Oh my gosh, he's so fantastic. And, <laughs> and so I'm like, like that, that just brought to my attention the fact that, I mean, authors, we can't do emotions that narrators can in some ways. And so should an author write his or her book with that in mind? And how does a good narrator affect those different emotions? Obviously it has to be well-written so that, um, uh, when, when a, a passage or, or a, a description of how a certain character is, is behaving or thinking comes across in the text, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of subtext. As an actor, you, I'm, I'm sure you know subtext and, 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 and the, the emotions behind the words. Um, oftentimes those will be clearly dictated within the text, within the manuscript. Other times it's, kind of a leap, um, on a narrator's part. And it's, it's left, um, it's left to our judgment to, as to how to approach that because a, a certain phrase could be said in 14 different ways. Um, and each one of those would have different meanings. So it, a lot of it depends on what's happening before, uh, this particular scene, what was the moment before, 
Um, and what's, what's going on in, in the overall arc of the story will dictate how we handle particular scenes, how we, how we decide which emotions to bring out and how, how strong those emotions will be when we do so. Um, so it's, um, it certainly helps when an author can help us uh, do that. And we're not looking for a, an explicit uh, description of, of he was feeling melancholy, as he said this, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be to that level, but um, to make it clear in, in the, in how the manuscript is, is written um, certainly helps us. But a lot of it really depends on, on how we interpret that text uh, and bring it out. And the good narrators will, will more often than not make the right call and, and, and uh, be able to bring those out so that they're apparent to the listener and, and, and drive those emotions as they listen. So either you just said my book is really well written or you had to make a huge leap. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with door number one. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, Joe, off to you. All right. Um, so, you know, again, following from the same sort of theme, I've never done it beyond choosing from a drop down on ACX, but do authors ever make specific requests regarding the overall tone or the certain character performances? Like how much direction do you get? Um, it's never happened to me. I've never had, had with, with, well, I, I won't say never. Um, I've had some, some authors say, uh, for instance, in, a, in an initial read or an audition or maybe an a, a initial sample, once we've got production ready to roll, um, I may I may make the wrong call and and say I uh, produce or or portray a, a particular character in in emotion or a tone that that really doesn't match the author's. And in those cases, um, the author has has been able to to give me some feedback and uh, provide. Uh, maybe a little more insight or uh, even some direction. Um, in the audiobook narration process, um, there, there's an opportunity for the author to provide feedback, that type of very direct feedback and, and specific direction on, on, an author, on a narrator's take at the very beginning of the book. So um, in ACX, there's what's called the initial first 15-minute sample. Um, and the purpose of that is for a narrator to, once he's reviewed the book, um, select certain passages or maybe have certain passages selected by the author to read as an initial, as an initial sample to give the author, um, some feedback and an idea of how the narrator is, is interpreting the text, interpreting the various characters, um, even specifics on some of the voices of the characters, uh, if they're very, if they're very, um, if the author has some very explicit, uh, characterizations in mind. Um, and then once that initial sample is done, um, then it's all in the hands of the narrator to take that initial direction and extrapolate that throughout the rest of the book and, and, and be able to, to, act it to perform it um within his skill set so uh there is definitely that opportunity but it's only at the very beginning because um there are some horror stories where some authors may have uh, taken it upon themselves to micromanage the production of an audiobook um 
And this, this happens a lot with, with relatively new narrators who may not know the process or may not be familiar with how, how things are supposed to work within, within this, within the system. But, um, it's important for an author to realize that once he provides that initial direction and once he releases the production to the, to the narrator, he needs to emotionally let go, um, let it be in the hands of the narrator, trust that the narrator is going to um, portray the, the story and portray the emotions and the truth behind the text in the best way that, that he can. Um, and that's, it's, it's a difficult thing to ask, um, especially for, for authors who are very attached to their work, which it should be. Um, this is, this is a work of passion for you. And, and, but at the same time, um, it's, it's not unlike a, a, the production of a movie. So if an author produces a book, excuse me, that then gets turned into the movie, the author typically will have very little say in how the director produces the movie and, and portrays, portrays that book in, up on the screen. Um, it's, it's really no different than how a narrator portrays that book in the audiobook form. Um, the author has to trust that the narrator is going to do justice to their book. Did that answer your question at all? Yes, it did. Okay, good. <laughs> Okay. So, I mean, you've talked about sample. There's the sample that authors get ahead of time before approving a book, but there's also a sample that is used to market the book. And, um, how does that, that sample, the marketing sample, how does that affect how well an audio book does? And I know that sometimes authors can't pick the sample. So what are the cases when an author can pick the sample and what, how do they know what would be a good sample? Well, it absolutely is going to affect uh, how a book sells, I think, um, because that's what, when a potential listener is going to look at a book, they're going to click on the sample, and if they like what they hear, that's, uh, that's going to either, uh, how they like what they hear is going to drive whether, they not, whether or not they make that purchase. So uh, the picking of the sample, I think, is pretty important. Uh, most often, the sample is is taken straight out of the first opening chapter of the book um, because we hope that if the book is well written and the author knows that um, they need to open the book and grab the listeners grab the reader's attention, um, it's no different than opening the audiobook and grab the, the listener's attention with that opening chapter and. and and, uh, I mean, your opening sentence, for instance, the shadow prophet, <laughs> it grabs you right there and, and it puts you in your seat and, and you're holding on for dear life after that. So, um, that's an excellent example of, of how, how the opening chapter can be adequately and, and really well used to, to provide that initial sample that then gets used to promote the book. Um, other books may not have that initial, um, attention grabbing opening. And so, uh, it depends in ACX. Uh, there's no, there's no, um, limits on what, uh, apart from the five minute time length, there's no limits on where that sample can be pulled from. Um, so a lot of times some authors have come back to me and, and said, I want an excerpt of, of this chapter and this chapter to, to be that initial sample. And, and there's absolutely no problem in doing that. Um, but most often, uh, uh, we hope that that the book is written such that that opening chapter can can be used for that sample and really pull those listeners in. 
Aside from actually having that sample on like the ACA, the Audible or Amazon page, I'm not even sure if it's on the Amazon page. Are there any places we could actually be promoting it? Because I always get that. I'm like, what, what should I do with this? <laughs> Where could I put it? You know? That's a great question. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's any, I don't think there's any contractual restrictions on how an author would use that sample. Um, obviously you can't, depending on what, what kind of contract you enter in with ACX to, to market the book, um, there, there's restrictions on how you can distribute the, the sales of that book and how, and if you have any flexibility on, on other, other uh, outlets in which to sell the book. But as far as using the actual sample, um, I'm, a, I'm unaware of any restrictions on how an author might use that sample. So then extrapolating that to your, to answer your question, um, where might they use that? Uh, Twitter, um, social media, uh, the websites, um, certainly social media campaigns. Um, every book that I, that I have access to that I do, um, I produce a little short minute using, typically using an excerpt from that initial sample to produce a little, a little uh, video that I'll throw up on my social media just to, to, to announce the release of the book. Um, but, but I think, um, uh, social media and then maybe some other avenues such as like book club, um, um, or other similar things, similar platforms where you might, uh, market eBooks, um, might have, might offer you the opportunity to do market, uh, the audio, audiobook versions as well, but I'm not a marketing professional and I didn't even sleep in a holiday in last night. So, uh, you might want to, I'll defer uh, that question. Can I was I just curious. <laughs> yeah. I was just curious cause you were talking about it and I was like, wow, I don't ever actually use that. I wonder if yeah. I suppose we could embed it in our website and, uh, yeah, or yeah. it might be small enough that we could just host it on our own hosting, but, um, book funnel. I've also never, allows. so it doesn't, as far as I know, it's not available for a direct download from, from the author's standpoint. Um, and I've never been asked to provide that. So, but I'm, I'm certainly happy to do so. Cause I, if I've produced the audiobook, I'll have that audiobook sample as well that I can, that, that I would be happy to, to send out, but I've never been asked that question before. So. <laughs> All right, authors. Yeah, my narrator gives me all the files in Dropbox, and then I do all the uploading. So I was like, well, I totally have that just as an MP3 in there that uh, I'll have to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes. Um, so a question I usually assume is the author that I'm going to be doing the marketing. That's my job. Um, but I know some authors will pick narrators specifically because they have developed a following of people who actually kind of read everything they produce. Have you seen that? And how does that magic happen? <laughs> they just love the narrator so much. And That's a very them? big thing in romance. Um, and I think as far as I know, that's really the only place that happens kind of, uh, organically. Um, romance readers and listeners are a very unique subset of the overall listening populace. Um, they're very avid. They're very uh, dedicated to their authors. And once they find a narrator that they li that they enjoy listening to, they, they become very dedicated and avid in promoting and, and searching out those other works, other works by that narrator. So, um, yes, that is definitely a thing. Um, 
I, I haven't attained that level of of uh, <laughs> of recognizability, I guess, uh, amongst my fans. Um, it's something that I'm that I'm striving for. Um, but again, that's that's really, as far as I know, that's that's a thing that happens most often in in the romance genres. Um, so I and and I don't know how that happens except for um, I know I have several friends actually that are that are romance narrators exclusively. Um, and they are very active on social media. They're, they're posting, um, Twitter and Instagram all the time. Um, and I think it's just a matter of, of getting to the point where you're recognized by your fans. Um, and, and they, they, um, kind of help you to step up to the next level. All right. Uh, we're going to close that with some, uh, some Facebook questions. Uh, okay. So the first one is from Fatima. What should authors have ready before they approach a narrator? Hmm. Um, assuming that the book is already published, um, and we talked about the case where where there's an an option to um, do a, a pre-release or a, or a pre pre-sale for a book, which which is then isn't published, but um, the actual final manuscript is is pretty critical, um, making sure that we don't have any edits outstanding or or, or it needs to go back to the editor. Um, the, the manuscript should be fully proofed, should be fully edited, should be um, ready to. If it's not for sale, then then uh, and even some books that are for sale could have used another round of editing. So it's it's really important to to just really have a as complete and fully edited manuscript available as possible. Um, an understanding of how the audiobook uh, world works is not necessary. Um, um, and, and like I say, I, I send out a welcome packet. I have several pre-marketing uh, or pre, um, I guess you'd call them pre-sales documents that, that I send out that kind of describe the process of uh, from approaching someone, an author who doesn't know anything about how audiobooks are made, um, describing the process, describing the different types of contracts available. Um, I know I'm not unique in that, but I know I'm not, um, I know that's not something that, that a lot of narrators do, um, on the, on the same, in the same side. So, um, but, but having some experience does help. Like I say, it's not necessary really, uh, I guess just an open mind, um, and being uh, understanding, as I said earlier, that, that, um, how a narrator interprets your work may not be how you interpret it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. And just being able to, um, to, to open your mind to, uh, how a narrator may, see your work and and interpret that and present that um i think is going to go a long ways knowing that you can't really micromanage how an actor performs their work is is going to be i think critical in moving forward all right our next question is from linda what recording equipment would you recommend to someone who doesn't have the funds to pay a narrator right now but might want to try narrating their own book that's a tricky question. Um, the most important thing 
um, in producing an, a, an audiobook that's gonna that's gonna sound at least halfway decent is making you ha- making sure you have some sort of um, deadening deadened recording space. So I have a really nice booth. Uh, it's not absolutely necessary, but some some place quiet, some place that's that's not got a lot of, of uh, reflections or echoes or um, a, a, if you can get some sound isolation from outside noises, that's going to go a long ways in, in helping to get an audiobook sounding good. Uh, the mic, obviously, that's, that's a critical component, but more important than the mic is going to be the recording space that, that you're in. So you can't a lot of and a lot of narrators uh, use their use their hall closet and just pad it with with clothes or pillows or 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 acoustic pads or whatever to, to get that space and that's that's perfectly fine. Um, but you can't. But it has to be consistent. You can't be recording in your bedroom one day and and your kitchen the next day and out on the deck the third day. Um, it's got to be consistent day after day after day. Uh, and it's got to be someplace that's, that's going to provide that sort of deadened space so that you're not getting those reflections and, and echoes and extraneous sounds. Um, apart from that, um, there's a, there's a plethora of hardware available to, from, from the mics to the, to the recording software, um, that are available. And it, a lot of it depends on, your resources and how much funds you have available to spend, how serious you are in, in putting something like this together. Um, the best answer I can give would be to do a lot of research. There's a tons of, there's, there's many, uh, Facebook groups that are dedicated to, um, recording software, to recording hardware, to booth building. Um, and I, I think more than any specific answers, I think the best answer to give is, is, use the resources that are available. Um, I will also uh, give a shout out to a colleague of mine, Karen Cummins is a narrator and she's done an extensive amount of research in the whole process of, of audiobook production, audiobook marketing, audiobook, um, anything to do with audiobooks. She, she is kind of the, the goddess of, of that, uh, of, of resources. Um, and she has, she's put together a website. It's called narratorsroadmap.com. Um, anybody who's interested in becoming a narrator, either full-time or part-time or, or just interested in the process, um, I always direct them as the first step to go to this website. And she's, she's got a ton of resources on that website that are available for anybody who's interested in, in learning more about what goes into, uh, the whole, the whole process. That's good. And we should point out, I will put that in the show notes so people can find it, but um, Audible or ACX is quite picky. So you might want to start with a short story or something. Just make sure you get the sound quality, you know, because like you were saying, how many hours go into putting together a book only to have... Yeah, you don't want to start on a 13-hour World War II nonfiction, for instance. (laughs) Definitely not. Okay, so um, I have one more listener question, but before that, I actually wanted to get a little clarification on something you said earlier. Sure. You narrate for romance reader um, authors. I do, and a lot of our listeners are romance authors. Um, so, uh, and you were like, you're like Andrea, you have romance too, and I was like, but they're all from girls' points of view. So, <laughs> how do you handle that? This is like 
most of the books, a lot of the romance is from the viewpoint of a woman. So how do you handle that? And then, I mean, how do romance authors respond? So I, I, I won't do any romance that are, that are strictly written in a female POV. Um, it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't come across well. It, it, it's going to be jarring to the listeners. Um, it's not what they're expecting. Um, all the romances that I do are written in dual POV. So uh, for instance, they'll have one chapter from the male point of view, one chapter from the female point of view, and they kind of alternate. So in those instances, I'll pair up with a female narrator. She'll do the female points of view chapters. I'll do the male points of view chapters. And um, it's a very common, very typical way of, of handling uh, audiobooks written in that, in that way. Um, uh, and I don't think I've ever come across a strictly male romance uh, book. So that's, like I say, they're either strictly female or a dual point of view, um, dual narration uh, production. Okay, so yeah, so my room, I was right. I was right to say, um, probably not good because none of mine are from the guy's point of view. They're all from right. the girl's point of view, yeah. which I kind of lament now because it's fun to get into, you know, the guy's head too. So, <laughs> but <laughs> I know are a little scary, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they could be like my able and be total assassins. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's my problem. My, my There's a lot of line. flexibility there, a lot of yes. opportunity. <laughs> Um, okay, so one last question. Um, this is from Scott C. Morgan, and the question is, what level of sales does he look for from an author's book sales before agreeing to work with that author? Um, it depends on the kind of contract that we're talking about. So if we're looking at just a, um, a pay-for-production, like a PFH type of contract, uh, the sales don't really mean anything to me because I'm getting paid for the full production of the audiobook. How it sells afterwards has no impact on on me from a financial standpoint. So um, it's only when we're looking at royalty share or royalty share plus or hybrid type contracts. And the level of sales, um, there's really no hard and fast number. Um, what I what I'd like to see to make me personally feel more comfortable um, would be to to see strong month after month sales. Um, in the in say the preceding three or four months uh, of the ebook, um, and by strong again, that's that's another subjective um, kind of term. Uh, there's a general threshold. So in Amazon specifically, they have uh, various ratings, uh, Kindle Kindle ranks is, is what they're called, and based on the basic genres or subgenres. Um, if a book is is say ranked in the top. 50,000, um, or, or higher. Um, that's a really good prospect. That's a really good indicator that it's, it's very popular. It's selling well. Um, I have a, a high confidence that the audiobook should probably do well as well. Um, especially if it's any, any higher than that. Um, I've, I've had a couple books in the 10,000 rank, Kindle rank, overall Kindle rank. Um, and, and those are, those are wonderful. If I can, if I can do anything like that, that's, that's fantastic. And there's great opportunity for, for both me and the author to, to do well off the sales of, of the audiobook. Um, anything below say 50 to 70,000, you really have to look harder at, um, 
at, at the genre. Um, sci-fi mysteries sell really well. Romance sells really well. Um, self-help, not so much. Nonfiction, not so much. Um, so a lot of it has to do with the genre as well. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, uh, some sort of a, a, a marketing plan to, to follow up with that if, if I don't get a good feel for for the potential based on like the Kindle rank or, or the previous month's sales. Okay. So we're going to kind of wrap up here. Uh, one final question before we get to the, where can people find you? Um, are you open for authors to pitch to you? Absolutely. Yes. I welcome it anytime. Okay. <laughs> Come get me. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. And then for those who are interested, we're going to include a probably three to five minute sample at the end of the episode of you doing the reading for Shadow Prophet, if you're still okay with that. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. And then they Definitely. can hear your breathing. <laughs> there you go. Hear my breathing. <laughs> heavy, heavy breathing on the microphone. <laughs> it comes in well with romance too, so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't say it. You did. <laughs> Um, okay. So, uh, yeah. Uh, where can people find you online? Um, yep, online, um, my website is probably the best stopping point. Um, www.garybennett2ns2tsreads, garybennettreads.com. Um, from there you can find links to, to follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and, and, uh, Facebook and wherever else. So, um, that's probably the best uh, initial. That's got my contact information, my email as well. So that's the best place to find me. And Liam Sanderson is Liam your... Sanderson is my is my pseudonym L I A M S A N D E R S O N. Um, he's going to be he, he's an up and coming star. I tell you what, um, he's got some stuff in the works. So <laughs> awesome. he's got one book right now, but uh, it, uh, I'm going to start using him a lot more. So yeah. That's awesome. Um, any other comments from Joe or Lindsay? Nope. Thanks for uh, joining us, Gary, and answering all our questions today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Okay. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. Um, you can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. And don't forget to join our um, Facebook group and leave a review on the podcast, wherever you listen <laughs> on the Facebook group. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. Leave a review on the Facebook group. <laughs> tell, tell us directly how great we are. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to everyone later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye everybody. One. I refused to look in her eyes as I pulled the knife from her now still heart and wiped the blade, her blood staining the fresh white cloth. I'd brought for this purpose. She hadn't struggled. None of them had yet, though I wasn't sure why. My heart thudded dully against my ribs, making me choke on unwanted emotions. I wouldn't allow myself to think, to feel. Not yet. Before her magical powers could flow away, I removed a vial from my backpack, holding it against her temple while chanting words I'd memorized months earlier. A silver-blue, steam-like gas flowed through her skin, like smoke from dry ice. With gentle waves of my other hand, I encouraged it to enter the vial, then put the cap on and carefully tucked it back into its protected pouch for later retrieval. Five down, 
two to go. The last two would be the hardest. I still couldn't believe I'd ever done the first. Finally, with jaw clenched, I looked at her face, so stricken now in death. It had been happy, excited even, when she'd granted me access to her apartment. I reached over and closed her eyelids, hating that I was the last thing she'd seen. I'm so sorry. I cleared my throat and shook my head. Plead my case when you get there. I hope you'll understand. I took a shuddering breath before lurching to my feet and stumbling away from the body. No one would miss her, not for a very long time, regardless of how powerful she was or how well-known or loved. He had seen to all those details a long time ago. I made sure my things were packed before pulling my phone from my pocket and sending a quick text to the number I'd saved in my device a few days earlier. It's ready. And then I waited. I leaned against her wall, still struggling to tuck the emotions away. It had gotten harder with each one. I'd become a monster. The thing normal people faced only in nightmares. The wait wasn't long. The door opened and closed, and one of my wrist tattoos burned, alerting me to the creature's presence. The croant didn't need to be visible for me to know a demon was there. I heard a quiet shuffling as the beast stepped across the room to the woman. Something pierced the skin of her neck, making a dimple, and deep red blood flowed into a long, knobby finger that slowly became visible. I looked away in disgust, not wanting to watch, then chided myself. Who was I to be disgusted by these creatures? Soon, blood filled the croant. The hand became attractive and slender, and the vampire demon gradually took on the woman's appearance. There were now two versions of Rachel, the dead one on the floor, and a naked one who licked her fingers in appreciation. I turned my gaze away again, this time out of respect for Rachel. I had murdered her, after all. The least I could do was give her privacy. The croant version of Rachel got to her feet and headed down the hallway, presumably to find clothes. Rachel had been a magical human of high rank in the States, like my other targets. She hadn't had nearly enough protection set up. None of them had, so far. Either way, the croant would now be able to mimic her Arete powers. This was a very strong croant, since most weren't able to assume identities and powers. Again, he had arranged everything. The Shadow Prophet wanted to protect me from the law. Killing people was illegal, and he couldn't afford to have his favorite assassin thrown in jail. A few minutes later, Rachel returned, now dressed in jeans and a tee. She smirked at me. I look forward to interacting with you, Abel. When do I get my first payment? Now. I bent and retrieved the thick envelope of $100 bills from my backpack, handing it over. Fair payment for one month, especially considering she'd still be getting paid for doing the woman's work. Rachel glanced in the envelope, then smiled. Everything's in order. I'll see you in a month. With a curt nod, I turned and left the apartment, closing the door softly behind me.